Welcome back to the Lantern Recycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. If you're watching on YouTube, this is just the Tour de Suisse recap of Stage 6. We've, on Podcast Players, we've also got the Tour of Slovenia Stage 3 recap. But Tour of Swiss, Tour de Suisse first. <laughs> Why this is eight stages, I'll never know. It's kind of insufferable torture right now. <laughs> just make it five or six. Come on, come on, Tour de Suisse. Just five or six. You don't need, you don't need eight. You don't need two TTs. Take yourself down a notch, all right? We just had the Dauphiné where the second-tier GC contenders for the Tour de France warmed up. You've probably got Alaphilippe deluding himself that he's going for TDF glory as a fourth-tier contender. Anyway, my gripes aside, this stage was 130 kilometres, yeah, 130 kilometres long. starts with a 8.7K climb, 8.3K climb at 7% and a long descent and valley section and then – it's like a parabola, and then they do a, probably the longest climb of the race, the Lukmaniar Pass, 18.2 k's at 5.6% descent, and then a sort of false flat, but a bit steeper than that, 7 k's, 3.5% drag to the finish in Descentus Sedrun. So before coverage started, Benji, there was absolute mayhem. We're looking at the live trackers on PCS or the race website, Twitter. What the hell was going on? Yeah, we saw an early move by uh, one of the GC riders, Julien Alaphilippe. And, uh, well, he lost 20 seconds yesterday from the from the bottle incident. But he seemed to be very fired up to get started and uh, rampage on the moment that the race started on the San Gotardo climb because he went in the break, was together with teammate Cataneo there. And it took a while before the actual group that they were in was completed and it ended up being a four-man group in the descent portion of the San Gotardo. They kept that up for quite a while and the gap was pretty decent. I think it was above two minutes at a certain point and then it went down and went down and it went down and the moment that uh, Alaphilippe got caught, everything started happening. This was at the foot of the, uh, is it Luc Manier's pass, uh, the second climb in the race? Um, Well, Everything happened there because attacks were flying left and right. And it's a bit unfortunate because we didn't see the attack of Alaphilly properly on camera at all, which is just a bit funny. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, no one knows why he dropped back. I mean, he's in a group with Catherine de Clark, Fun Seven on. Well, he, apparently he sat up. Oh, maybe he had a mechanical. Oh. It makes no sense. Uh, I don't. I was very confused by. It. No one really knows what happened because there wasn't any commentary on the GCN feed that I was also watching via VPN because the rights distribution for this race is an absolute shambles as well. But anyway, Alphilippe doing Alphilippe things. Who was the first to attack? It was Dela Cruz, Benji. Or no, it was um, it was Crone actually off from the base attacked in Soren Kra. Yeah, indeed. They, they started attacking very early and that was uh, because just after that, a large group formed at the front of the race, like 29 people in total. And I think they tried to get away from that group as well on the climb itself. They tried to uh, push pedals because a rider like Søren Kronderson needs to try and force it on a steady wattage instead of uh, an acceleration at the end because he's better at that first aspect. I think Kron could probably do both of them a bit. We've seen him do both already in his... Uh, racing so far and just behind the 29-man group there was the peloton paced by by Ineos at uh, a very moderate pace the gap went up to three minutes from that breakaway to the peloton no one's super dangerous except for like Antoine Tolhook in there as well who was on I think two minutes or three minutes in GC before the stage started so 
could play a role if they uh, let the gap go out even further, but that eventually didn't come into play. Fun fact, I was actually listening to this in Japanese because uh, next to VPN issues, there was also some translation issue because there was no English commentary on GCN for the uh, first portion of this race. So that was an interesting experience because I don't know Japanese at all. So um, yeah, I didn't hear what was happening from the commentary. So I had to like focus on the race itself. A lot of attacks. Sonokronderson tried again later to open up things. And Matthews was also trying to get in second or third position there and eventually then got dropped when uh, we saw more moves by Sonokronderson. But what was the first like decisive attack in the front group, you'd say? I think that the big sort of group that went into the base of the last sort of, I'm going to call it a climb, uh, was Fabro, Tollhook, Paulus, and it was Fred Wright. And it was saying on the ticker, there was also ticker issues with uh, their transponders. It was saying it was Pernsteiner. I was looking at the guy, I was like, that guy's six foot two. That is not <laughs> Pernsteiner. It was Fred Wright, <laughs> the British lead out man for Bahrain Victorious, who isn't actually offered to be at Slovenia leading out for uh, Bauhaus, which is what he's done to, for great success this year. But he was in the break. Anyway, he was in the, that group sitting on. Powers was working a fair bit. I think the the main attacks on that last climb were Costa as well as, who was his UA? De La Cruz. They were catching De La Cruz as well, but he was pretty much cooked and Pernsteiner. So Pernsteiner caught back up to them. And then he had a group with Pernsteiner, Costa and De La Cruz. And I don't know if he or she was in the group as well, Benji. I can always yep. see she in the group as well. But Pernstein was doing most of the work. He can't win from the finish, from the sprint. Uh, but he gets caught up with by Andreas Krohn, the man who originally attacked. And so we have a group of Pernstein, Krohn, and really Costa. And behind, you've got riders like Paulus, Hugo Latour, Serrano, Fabro, Toluk, and Leknusund. So some pretty good climbers, guys who might see, like Paulus, I think, is going to, well, there's no race on his program. He was at stage hunting at the Tour de France last year, nearly won a couple of stages. But, yeah, group with Krohn and Kosta, way quicker than Pernsteiner. So what are you going to do if you're Pernsteiner there, Benji? Because really this final climb doesn't offer you too much, particularly the last K is pretty much flat. Well, he's pretty fucked, isn't it? Like, I don't even know what he can do. There's nothing he can do. He can't attack really because they're going to counter him. You know that. And if he attacks, then he probably won't have the acceleration to stay away because he's not exactly the most accelerative rider. So you're basically just the rider that is going to do the lead out today. And you've you've said to yourself with 5K to go, I ain't winning this. I might as well do the, these other two a favor and let them figure it out themselves. <laughs> Yeah, he. I mean, he tried a couple of times to it to his credit, but he's a small guy. He's a pure climber, and this finish just wasn't steep enough for him. Costa is one GC at Tour de Suisse multiple times. Andres Krohn, you might remember from the first stage in the Tour of Catalonia, Volta Catalonia at the start of this year. Remember that stage in the break with Kemner, Sanchez, and Remy Rochas. He won in a sort of upset at the time his first win i think even it might have been his first world tour race he beat them in a sprint in a reduced group so he's quite quick not to be underestimated for all i know you all listening remember that uh but maybe Rui costa didn't because he leads out on a pretty you know drag and and drafting is very important on this finish it's not steep he leads out andreas Krohn on the right hand side as usual we've got a slightly right hand bend bending and then it straightens up for the last 125 meters Costa on the right barrier, jumps early. Crone gets slips into his wheel. Costa knows he's in his wheel. 
Pernishan has gone. Costa then swings, big swing from the right barrier, almost all the way to the left-hand barrier. And it wasn't in a fluid movement either. Crohn's in his wheel trying to come out of his wheel to the left-hand side. And he starts to close it like Demar did to Sagan a bit last year in that Giro stage when he didn't get relegated. And then I think he does. He checks under his shoulder a couple of times, and he would have known Crone was there. And then he has another sharper correction to the left. It forces Crone. He doesn't break, and he doesn't stop pedaling, but he definitely takes the power off the pedals for a fraction of a second as he has to course correct, go to the left sharply, and then try and go back up the space on the left-hand side. And uh, Kostya wins over the line. Benji and I immediately were like, <laughs> red card, 100% sprint deviation, should be relegated. Crone is furious straight away. You can see him. It's in the Corvos photo on YouTube shouting at Kostya. Kostya doesn't look back at him, doesn't even react to say, what are you talking about, which is – you know, I think that was telling that Costa didn't do that. Secondly, Costa barely celebrated. Thirdly, a Portuguese fan offered him a flag at the finish. He didn't take it. I think Costa knew what was going to come. But, yeah, do you see it as a – remind people what the rule is, Benji, for the yeah. umpteenth time. The moment that you are after launching your sprint, you're not allowed to deviate from your lane and in doing so endangering another rider. Now this rule has several issues. First of all, a deviation was definitely present here. The second thing, danger, that's an issue because that's subjective. What is dangerous? Is pushing someone to the side or forcing them to evade dangerous? I'd say that it definitely could be seen as dangerous today. And I think that it should be applied. But in some occasions, we have situations where it's not as clear, where the gap between the two riders is a bit more. And then it's an issue. So... The danger part of this rule is completely undefined and completely subjective, which means that a rider basically has to choose, uh, I should probably crash right now instead of evading, otherwise his deviation is probably not going to get punished. And today, they luckily went on the right side of the coin and actually put in the fact that Kosta is getting relegated from this, which is good, but there's been so many other occasions where it has been on the other side of the coin. The Alaphilippe one last week. The deviation there, yeah, let's be real. It was dangerous in my opinion because it's a similar situation as today. Matthews had to stop pedaling or he would crash. Kron had to evade or he would crash. And there's two decisions differently. Alaphilippe did not get a relegation and your boy today, Kostad, did get a relegation, which I'm, I'm all for. They should both have gotten relegation but the problem here is the rule the rule is not defined enough to actually say that the people who, who are saying oh Kosta wasn't really endangering Kron well it's difficult to say I say it's dangerous but someone else might interpret danger differently so that's issue one the second issue is one that was reminded to us again by La Flamme Rouge on Twitter it's a prisoner's dilemma if you deviate if you're Costa in this situation if you deviate and you get caught you're going to be sent to the back of the group, which is third. So you lose. If you don't get caught, you get the victory. But if he doesn't deviate, he gets second. So might as well deviate, right? The rule basically incentivizes riders to go for the deviation because the punishment is nowhere near enough. The current system, the game theory, sort of rational decision is to deviate. If you're going to lose, if you don't deviate, then you should deviate because, I mean, geez, I'm of the view that if Crone doesn't, 
um, isn't angry visibly over the finish line. If I presume Lotto Sadar go, their DS marches straight to the tent of the UCI commissaires and say, hey, guys, this is 100% deviation. Need you to look at this right now and sort this out. If those two things don't happen, I think there's a pretty good chance that Costa isn't relegated. Yep. We saw, is this worse than the Impy deviation, which literally crashed? Standard the other week at Andalusia, like, I mean, in terms of the element of danger, Stanard <laughs> literally got crashed. Like, so the danger element was definitely present and Impy definitely deviated from his lane. He was definitely sprinting. So um, it is inconsistent. I'm glad they got it on the right side of it today. Costa knew exactly what he was doing. And, uh, I mean, there's other – again, we never know what – because there's no transparency in the applic- application of the rules. So maybe – like, we, we'll talk about this – we were going to talk about this. Sagan getting fined for obstructing a rider. He got there's like two different rules they could fine him or penalize him under. Yep. Like maybe they find Koshta for obstruction. Or uh, they probably didn't hear. Probably I don't not. Think so. The problem with obstruction is that if you're gonna start taking it too seriously, then a lead out like Merku, who's sprinting in the way of others on purpose a bit slower, is technically obstructing other sprinters. And then we look at the Belgian tour today, so the stage uh, that Caleb Ewan won. Caleb Ewan goes from the left side of the road all the way to the right side of the road, all the way back to the left side of the road. Why is that okay? Um, And I don't have a good answer for you. The only reason it is okay is because he didn't endanger someone because Ackerman couldn't come out of his wheel. And I guess, so yeah, it doesn't really work. Maybe the I think the rule basically should be like Caleb you start and you sprint on the left, sprint in a straight line. That's end of story. Um, yeah. And additionally, next sprint. to that, like the entire system with the UCI is also a bit bodged because they're super intransparent about everything. You've got the situation in Belwa's Belgium tour today with the steer of uh, Beat Cycling Club. They've got this special steer where you can like support your, your, uh, your forearms on the handlebars, for example. And well, according to a document that Thomas Hent received, a PowerPoint that he shared on Twitter, that specific steer is literally on the PowerPoint saying that it's not allowed, but today in the race it is allowed because they checked with the UCI and they said nothing about it. So that's also an inconsistent application. The people that are the officials of races are not consistently knowing every single aspect of the rules, which is an issue because if one UCI official says it's right and the other one says it's wrong, then there's some problem with the uh, well, the fact that one of them is wrong. And that should not be the case if you're an official in a, in a race like this. You should know the factual rules. And yeah, that's clearly not the case in some occasions. But it's also annoying that they are not allowed to respond on public matters because UCI comma, uh, officials are are forced to uh, forward every single um, critic to the official UCI communications. Uh, yeah, but I manager. email them. I email them yeah. asking, and they don't. They don't say anything. Um, you know, and I remember I emailed. I did the one no. time I did get a response was about the uh, full sang leak last year from Cardiff. Uh, I got a sort of the response that all the media got. It was interesting though to see just finishing off the sprint deviation stuff. Uh, La Flamme Rouge put out a. A poll quickly, and I was—I actually laid Koshta on bet. I'm, a, I'm such a degenerate. It's like it's getting—it's getting bad now that live betting's allowed in Andorra, not in Australia. I laid Koshta because <laughs> you could—the result wasn't finished after the finish because I was like, they will relegate him. The public said 80% yes that Koshta should be rele- should be relegated. Uh, so I actually don't think 
I think most people want sprints to be cleaned up, Benji. I don't yep. think seeing people swinging from side to side fills anyone. It doesn't make it any more entertaining to me. I don't think it fills anyone with joy or increases the entertainment. I think, um, yeah, I think majority of people, maybe if there's an investor you want to invest in, Benji and I will start up a consultancy business for the UCI. We will become the UCI VAR. Um, everyone will get relegated that doesn't ride within a two-inch <laughs> Sort of no, no, no. You, gotta, you, you had to stop after relegate. Everyone's going to get relegated. <laughs> we'll redraft. Oh, uh, we should redraft the rules. They need those rules redrafted. Yep. But anyway, Tour de Suisse stage six is done. Stage seven tomorrow is the ITT, the second one. So a bit of controversy about this as well on Twitter last night from Magnus Beckstedt about whether this is safe. It's from Decentus to Sudrun, uh, starting in Decentus to Sudrun, finishing in Andermatt, 23Ks, and it's – literally straight up and down a mountain, um, but not an out and back. It's down the other side. It's over the Oberal Pass, 9.5Ks at 6.5%. The gradients are very regular. The controversy is regarding the descent finish um, because it goes through the series of hairpins. I'm not sure how steep it is, uh, but there's also a tunneled hairpin, I believe, uh, which is could be a little bit sketch, but they'll be on road bikes and, um, yeah, I think – Hopefully everyone's okay. I mean, if you if it's dry, I don't think most of the guys who aren't competing for GC won't be really pushing it too much. Who have you got for it, Benji? Because Dennis won't be on the TT bike. Is it Carapaz who gets the advantage back doing this on road bikes? Hmm. I hope to see Dumoulin do well. I just don't know if he is remotely near a form to do well there. But I would. Does love he do it on the TT it. bike? Yeah, <laughs> he's the only one who cranes enough to do it on the TT bike. <laughs> <laughs> so do fucking it. funny but uh yeah that's one of the names that i would love to do well but i'm completely unsure about i don't think that the flat tiers will be uh up for it i think that i want to try and uh say uran for this one as a bit of an outsider i feel like an uphill climb a descent why not rigoberto uran yeah P- <laughs> to win you'll have to take a lot of risks or put yeah, you yeah. very hard on the descent um that's what people were having the issue with and it, does Carapaz want to do that with the Tour de France so close? Do you think Alaphilippe will push it, Benji, yeah, on the descent? I think they'll, I think they'll all push it. Carapaz, Alaphilippe, they're going to try and win this race. Like, yeah, it's a race they want to win. Uh, I think that – I'm curious what Matthews would do on this time trial because he's good at, like, shorter time nah, trials. Nah. But the climbing section's too hard here, right? I'll be betting on Jakob Fulsang to win this stage, uh, depending on when the odds come out. Really? I think, yeah, I think he'll push the descent pretty hard. And, I mean, I don't know the odds yet. If he's $2, no, no obviously I won't. <laughs> but like, I still think Carapaz and Alaphilippe are more likely to beat him. But steady climb, not too steep, and then pushing it on the descent, road bikes, the start in good in the TTs. I know it's not a, a TT bike, Powers? TT, but Powers? Got 11 on the time trial? Cataneo, perhaps, like he got fired on the time trial. Yeah, I think we're going to see some weird results tomorrow. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch an unusual TT like this. So tune yeah. in for that and uh, otherwise check out our Tour of Slovenia video and tour. Oh, and you can continue on if you're on podcast players now. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson and the small animal if you're watching on YouTube. This is the recap of stage three of the Tour of Slovenia a great stage today. I really, really enjoyed the last 25 kilometers of this from Brezice to 
Crisco, 165 k's long, and it's all about the Shrimmage climb. 4.3 k's at 5.6%. That crests 21 k's from the finish to short uh, descent, then straight into a 1k punch of 6.8%. Then a descent and then false flat sort of run into town of about 12 or 11 kilometers. So difficult to control. The order of the day would be bike exchange trying to drop I think, you know, trying to set up Stannard and, and whether really Bauhaus would be dropped on that climb, who is the best sprinter in this race. But we had a breakaway as usual, Benji, including the man I liked for the finish, but he got in the break, Restrepo. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the last few years we've had uh, a bit of a, an odd type of rider in him because he had decent Conti sprints, but he seems to go on to the attack a lot more recently. And he was there together with Monaco, uh, not a rider living in Monaco, but he is uh, actually Italian. We've got also Cepeda, but not the invisible Giro man Cepeda. It was Jefferson Alvaro. I don't know if they're related. I think, I'm guessing they are, but I'm not sure about it. So if anyone knows that, drop it below. I'm curious to know. But um, he was in the break as well for Caja. We had Sergio Araiz and Kenny Molly in the break, but that breakaway wasn't going to do much today. They eventually got caught when Bahrain started pulling in the peloton earlier on, which I found intriguing because I dare to say that on this stage, it would fit them more to be uh, playing defensively. Maybe Bahrain just accepted that Bauhaus was going to be in trouble. And I don't know. I thought I thought it was going to be a really messy race after those climbs because we saw on stage two when Pagat, the stage Pagatti won yesterday, I, I expected it to be kind of controlled on that climb absolute madness and he broke away so it's a bit more loose this race it seems than a normal world tour racing yeah. but yeah when did Restrepo get brought back was it on the base of this uh Shremich climb yeah it was just before it and the attackers all got caught at that point well Restrepo was the final one indeed that tried to attack away from the others in the breakaway and it didn't take long for UAE to try and take control on that climb and they went to the front and they started hitting it but not necessarily with like Artist rider is pacing at a godlike tempo. They actually tried to attack with Micah in the earlier part of the climb. And I found it interesting because, like, Micah attacks, and in the group, we see that nobody instantly responds, but it takes a good 10 seconds before Trotnik tries to bridge up. What do you do if you're UAE, if, for example, Micah and Trotnik are at the front? Do you just let them go and try and. Yeah, but Trotnik is a better sprinter. Like, what do you expect then? Are you just going to, like, not chase them anymore? And. Hope that it goes. Luckily, Astana was taking over in the peloton and closed it down again. But yeah, I found it an interesting dilemma whether that two-man group would be good for UE to let go. I mean, yeah, we already saw Bauhaus dropped. It seemed like Bahrain were like, okay, we've got Mohoric and Tratnik. Let's not sacrifice to their two opportunities. They're great attackers, great finishers at the, in this sort of field for Bauhaus, who already was lingering at the back. I mean, Bike Exchange did, as we said yesterday, they hit it from the base. The problem was it was one guy. This is a, what is it, 4.3 Ks. I'm not sure who was on the front. Apologies to him. He did a great job. He absolutely split the field, but there was no follow-through. There was no second rider to attack. And I think Kanga there controlling might have helped. But, yeah, they got lucky, I think, Bike Exchange, that UAE didn't do what Benji was suggesting, which was, you know, given that Micah's 
gone up the road with Tratnik, maybe it's a better idea to have someone else counter that or bridge across because Tratnik's beating Micah head-to-head. Luckily for them, Astana wanted Javier Romo to have a go. I think that's their their rider. He attacked. He then got brought back by UAE. I think they allowed uh, Vergard Stekelangen to come back. So there was lots of attacks flying on this climb, this Stremich climb. I think if Pogacar attacks... He gets he doesn't get brought back. I, I don't see him getting brought back at the attack, but he didn't today. I think he decided to ride for ULC or uh, Trenton. Trenton eventually caught back up to them. I'm not sure whether it was in the, the descent off the Shremich climb. It was pretty yeah. much all together. Then the last punch, a lot of opportunities here again for UAE to try something. They got Polance, Micah, Vergard, Stekelang, and ULC, Pagacha, Trenton. Six guys, I think. When at, at a certain point, Trenton obviously wasn't in a condition to attack straight away. He was at the back of the group. But I was like, but Aberastri, Stannard in this group, and Morich, Ulysses not winning the sprint, like not even close to winning a final sprint against those guys. Micah didn't look strong enough to do anything. And so if you don't attack on that climb and try and send attacks with various riders that you have, you're going to be trying to control and an a difficult 11Ks with a large-ish group with riders trying to attack you. What would your play have been there, Benji? Because they did have, you know, narrow roads. They, there were opportunities for them to lose the wheel and have further riders attack. And I don't think a starter would have been strong enough to bring them back straight away. Yes, certainly. And I think there's multiple parts to this. Firstly, I found it intelligent that they waited up on Trenton first while Hulgard was off on his YOLO solo adventure for a bit. And eventually they called back up to Hulgard the second that Trenton was in the group. That's a, a small part I wanted to add because I think that's a good strategy that they did. And a bit later, they seemed to fold completely towards Trenton, like you mentioned. And I would not have really chosen that because we know that Trenton has had properly weak flat sprints in his life. And recently, I, I can't even remember the day where he w- did a flat sprint properly because in the Tour de France, it was always 7th, 8th, ninth in those sprints. And... That's just not really the, the kind of thing you want to have if you want to compete against Aberasturi in a, in a flat sprint, who also is able to get a top five, top four in, in Velta stages as well in, in a flat sprint. So, yeah, I wouldn't have completely trusted Trentin, and you've got the upper hand numerically, so I would try to play that out. There's one opportunity that I see in this race where I was like, you should not do this. I was shouting at my screen, like, don't do this. And that was when... Daniel Kanger decided to try, to try and attack away from the group. And that is a bike exchange riders try to uh, reverse lead out for Standard. So forcing the other teams to have to close him down and Standard could just sit in the wheel of the uh, people that are trying to close down Kanger. But UAE responded to that with one rider. I think it was Micah, but I'm not sure about it, getting to the wheel. Could have been and there Polance. Was, a of, was it? Sorry? Could have been Jan Polance. It was yeah, the, very the possible. small guys. Very yeah. possible. And... Um, at that point, the gap was like 10 to 15 meters. And the second UAE rider decides to close it. But at that point, I'm like, you've got a situation whether you either sprint against Trenton in the Peloton, well, with Trenton against Aberasturi and such in the Peloton, which I don't trust. Or you can have the person you've got with Kangert try and sprint Kangert, a rider that is a time trialist and doesn't exactly have a good sprint at all. I would have put my money on trying to have Kanger do that attack, just sit up in the peloton, others need to close it, probably was going to get closed eventually because Kaja still had two team members for uh, Aberasturi there to try and close things down if necessary. But it offers some play. And 
opportunities like that or opportunities you want to try and use to make sure that the other teams don't have teammates anymore and the next attack might work again or the next attack. And you've got so many riders in that group that you could have done so much more than just do a lead out for Matteo Trentin here. That's my case. Tratnik attacked late and that weakened the UAE train even more. So Tratnik attacked and they had Morich behind. So they reverse lead out for Morich. But yeah, Pogaccio leads out Trentin. Trentin going first through that right-hand bend, kicking with a little bit early. And then Abarastri comes out of from deep. I think he was on Remy Mertz's wheel and uh, kicks around him and beats Trenton easily, and it's actually Morich getting the draft off Aberastri, comes to his left-hand side yep. and just comes a little bit late. Aberastri, too quick, second to Bauhaus, nearly beat him on stage one. And I think that was the big indicator of how quick he is right now in a flat sprint. Uh, and, not, you know, he Bauhaus is pretty good at like two pro, this, this sort of level, and Aberastri, a little bit different, would have been there. So... Kind of played out as we expected, given that we saw him come over the climb. Here's the top 10, Aberastri, Morich, Trentin, Mertz, Askov, Palacen, Shaw, Munoz, Carboni, Strakov, Romo, Hulgard, 11th. Now, the interesting question, Benji, man, you mentioned and told me to look out for Hulgard. Could he have won or, be, or got third or something in that sprint if he hadn't attacked sort of with 12Ks to go? I think a top five is definitely possible. I won't say that he would have won this sprint, but... I found it intriguing because in stage one, he also went in the breakaway instead of trying to go for the sprint. Perhaps he just doesn't have the confidence in a sprint, which I'd say perhaps try it because he's had some decent sprints in the past. And I was just surprising that he tried to go for that attack. But I think it was a, a decent opportunity because it was indeed that moment that UAE was subtly trying to wait to get Trentin back at the back again. So perhaps a way to try and counter that. But it's difficult to do that. One name I do want to point out is someone that has been on the uh, back ropes of the groups in the last uh, few days, but is still looking decent in GC. A Slovenian rider in his home country, Christian Hochevar. He uh, is in the white jersey in this race. And um, he's riding for Adria Mobil, riding really well. I'm very curious what the guy will do in the future because he's uh, still a pretty young man. Uh, he is 22 years old and um, was second in Kurlapei, I think. Uh, a week or and a half ago or something. So definitely talented and can definitely climb. So just curious, I wanted to throw that name in there. Yeah, there's a few young guys looking good. James Sharp, Shaw for Ribble, uh, sixth in this sprint is actually quite a good result. He was sixth yesterday as well. He was on Lotto Sedal until 2018. He's trying to work his way back into the Pro Tour. Right? He seemed to join World Tour very early. He was a trainee in 2016 when he would have been 19 years old. Uh, maybe he's developing a little bit later. So I feel like he's a guy who maybe in 18 or maybe next year, if you're looking at his power numbers and how he's going at Slovenia, could be a guy uh, to make the jump at least back to pro Conti level, definitely capable of riding at pro Conti level. And I think somewhere like YOLO would be a good fit for him as well with races they do. Uh, but yeah, an interesting, I really, I really liked the last 20 kilometers, interesting tactics. I think, Maybe UAE, Benji, this is good that they did this in that they won't make this mistake again in sort of world tour level for Trentin um, at the Vuelta. You know, at the Vuelta, he, if they get into this sort of situation where you see more regularly these reduced groups, like would you back Trentin to beat Magnus Court in a sprint head-to-head right now? No. No. I'd, so, yeah. <laughs> I think that Court is better. It's a difficult situation because, like, if you're in a group with two riders – 
instead of like five, then I would have tried to go for Trenton. But if you've got five people, you might as well try and play around a bit because if you, for example, have Trenton respond to the attack of Trotnik, there's no other team that can bring you back. No other team will bring that back. And I think that those are the kind of opportunities that can be seen, although that specific example is a bit in hindsight, though. Yeah, I mean, oh, if you if you see our Discord message receipts, we we can't get accused of hindsight twenty twenty. I think yeah, he's a, a really good. I think maybe last kilometer attacker would have been a better option if you have multiple riders in a group in the future. But no matter. I mean, they won the stage yesterday, which they might well they probably did expect. And Pagach is leading GC by over a minute. Tomorrow's stage is the big one. It's to Novogorica. 163 Ks, and it's all about the Ravnica climb. 2.7 Ks, 11%, straight into the final wall. 2.4 Ks, 13.5%. This might be the toughest finish in pro cycling this year. Let me know if there's any tougher. Apparently, there's gradients over 25%. Just really, just brutal. And Pagach uh, is probably winning this stage. I think 90% chance of winning this stage. UA will control it. And, Who will get uh, second? Come on, let, let's do this. Who will get second? That's good, good yeah. So, I mean, I like Stedman because he's he won GC at Tour of Antalya. He's really small, a good climber, but I'm not sure. Maybe it'll be who's that lad you mentioned, the the young one on Andrea? Pachivar. Is he a good climber? He, he seems to be a good climber, but he does have the opposition of a Sobrero, a Carboni, and so forth. So might be difficult. I think Yanni Brakovic, top three. Okay. Put that down is Roman. I know Roman Kreuziger's in this race as well. <laughs> yeah. Carmen as well, and we saw him uh, again at the back of a group in the descent today. Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yes. I mean, yeah. If Zakharin wants a watts per kilo test, then tomorrow. But you need to be in good position after the short descent from the Ravnica climb. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Kangut maybe could go okay if you're a climber. I will see Tratnik, the uh, Zonkland, <laughs> Zonkland. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. It, yeah, it's a trying to look for like a i don't i don't recognize a lot of the names but yeah pagash is out now favorite he should extend his gc gap tomorrow in the tour of slovenia until then we'll have the recap afterwards ciao